One of my prayers is that each day that we live, that we would be increasingly conscious, aware of the presence of the Lord. You remember Psalm 139 tells us that David asked the question, where can I go from your presence? And the answer is nowhere, uh, because he is always with us. Now that gives me hope, because in the times of crisis and trial, in the times of temptation, the Lord's presence is with us. Doesn't matter where we are, doesn't matter where, who we're with, doesn't matter what we're doing, he is with us. Whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, he is with us. And that can be very, very comforting, or it can be a huge threat, depending on where we are and what we're doing. But he is with us, and for that we give him thanks and praise. This morning I want to share with you, uh, beginning with Acts 20, and what this is, is as we talk about the presence of the Lord, I wonder how many times we take knowledge of his presence with us as we go through the day. The things that we're doing, uh, whatever our work is, our job, uh, whatever we happen to be doing, how often do we pause and reflect that the Lord is with us? doesn't take long, doesn't take much time just to dwell in the presence of the Lord on a daily basis, every day, every moment of every day. One of the things that um, Paul did was he tried to do everything with an awareness of the presence of the Lord in his life, even the plans that he made for visits that he would take, uh, places he would go, people he would talk to. He tried to take into account um, what the Lord had for him. And, you know, we believe that when the Lord Jesus is in our hearts, he changes the desires of our hearts. And then he creates desires of our hearts. And it's not things that, um, that we don't like or anything like that. I mean, he loves us and he wants to give good things to us and he wants to give us the desires of our heart. As long as the desires of our heart are good and pleasing to him. So there was in the heart of Paul for years a desire to go to Rome. Um, was that just something that, a whim that he had? Uh, was he wanting to go on holiday to go see the sights there at Rome? Uh, or was it something more? Was it something, a desire in his heart that God had planted there? Paul thought it was something that God wanted him to do. To do. Way back in, um, jump back to Romans chapter 15, very quick. In Romans 15, Paul had written this letter to Rome um, while he was visiting Corinth. And he wrote this about 57 A.D., right around there somewhere. And in this letter, starting with verse 14, he's confident that the things that he's writing to the Romans about, they already know and that they are already competent in order to instruct each other. But he's writing them to remind them. And so he says in verse 15, I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he talks about how God was working in and through him in such a powerful way through these years. And he says in verse 19, By the power 
of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Irilicum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then in verse 22, he says, This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you, because there's already Christians at Rome. That's who he's writing the letter to. Somebody else had established the church there at Rome. There had been this desire in Paul's heart to go and visit that church and to share with them what God was doing in and through him. But Paul tells them that one of the reasons he hasn't been was because God put it in his heart to go into the unreached areas. And so that's what he did. And so then he says uh, in verse 23, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. And then later on in the, in the book, um, he says in verse 28, So after I've completed this task, he's got this task of taking an offering that he's collected among the churches of Asia. He's going to take it to Jerusalem because uh, those people there are in want and the prophets there have told him about a famine that's coming. And so Paul has gone around to these different churches in Asia, many of whom of which he started, and collected an offering to help um, their Christian brothers and sisters who are experiencing this famine. And so he says after he's completed that task, um, and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. And so he's asking them that they would pray for him. Now, he's never met these people. And yet, there's a, a bond in the Spirit. And he's got this desire within his heart. 57 A.D. Now, the way this is going to work out is very, very different. Now, it's one thing for God to put the desire within our heart. The way God chooses and the time in which he chooses to work that out is a very, very different thing. So, Paul, if he was just working on his own, he would have jumped up and gone to Rome. But it wasn't time. And that wasn't what God had in mind for Paul. So, but he's urging them to, to be with him and pray for him. Now, he is eventually going to get to Rome in Acts 28. But in between, there's going to be some very difficult things. Um, if we looked way back in Acts chapter 9, this is where Paul was converted Remember, he had this tremendous revelation of Jesus Christ on his road to, on Paul's road to Damascus. His name was Saul then. He changed his name because he wanted people to know that there was such a, a radical change within him that he was not the same man in any way that he had been before. And that what Christ had done in his life was such a radical thing. He was almost like a different person, so he changed his name. But while he was still Saul persecuting the church, Jesus appeared to him and got his attention and converted him and had a plan and purpose for him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, God is speaking to a prophet by the name of Ananias. 
And this man is a, a godly man living there in Damascus. And God is telling Ananias that he needs to go pray for this man named Saul. He's a man from Tarsus. And Ananias says, wait a minute. I know that guy. I know who he is. He's the guy who's got legal authority to come and arrest Christians and put them in jail and some of them executed. So for Ananias to obey the Lord's instructions here, he literally will be taking his life in his hands because Jesus has changed Saul. Ananias is just finding out and God says, I've got Saul, you need to go pray for him. And so a tremendous act of faith, this man went, laid his hands on Saul we're in verse 15 of chapter 9 of Acts. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now here was a man who was torturing, inflicting pain and suffering on others and God was going to change all of that for him and say you're going to be on the other side now and see how that works out and understand the presence and the sustaining power of God and so Paul was faithful to that call and as he wrote to the church at Rome there he's been going through he's been planting churches um, God has used him in a great way also um, most of the early converts came out of the synagogues when he first went into a, into a city. That's where he would go first, to the synagogue. And there would be a group of people that would respond to the message of Christ. Um, these were Jews, people who knew God, knew the Old Testament well already, had a good solid foundation in the scripture. And out of that comes the leadership for the early church. And so Paul had been faithful to that. And now in Acts chapter 20, where we'll finally get to our passage this morning. Okay. Um, this desire to go to Rome is still on Paul's heart. Now it's going to be, uh, 57 was when he wrote the letter to, to, to uh, the Romans. When he finally gets to, to Rome, it's 61 AD. So it's, it's a few years in there. During this time he's being faithful, planting churches and continuing to um, be used greatly by God and he's been at Ephesus for about three years and after that time um, it was time for him to move and he did and um, he'd been gone about three months and now as far as he's concerned it's time to go. So we're in Acts chapter 20 <clears throat> we're in verse 16 he, he is at um, Miletus and says, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. So now he's finally on his way to Jerusalem. When he gets through at Jerusalem, his plan is to go to Rome and that will happen but in a different way. You remember he's going to get arrested thrown in prison and most of that time between 57 and 61 he's going to be spending in, in a Roman jail. First in Jerusalem, then in Caesarea and finally in Rome. So it's an amazing thing though in God's economy 
Part of the thing that was going on during those years while he was in prison was Paul is writing um, several letters that are now part of our New Testament. It was during that time when he was in prison at Rome that he wrote um, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Um, also during that time he wrote the, the pastoral epistles, letters to Timothy and Titus. And so all of this production um, came out of him being in prison on his way to Rome and while he's in Rome. And would it have been different? Would he have written those letters in the same way if he had been able to go and visit them personally? Probably not. But because of situation and part of God's plan, the creation of, of these books that are give us so much instruction and guidance, um, God was able to use them in this way as well. Paul was a man of action, as you know, um, and now he becomes sedentary out of no desire of his own. He can't go anywhere. So now he becomes an author, a writer as well. And God inspires him to speak the words of God to the church. And so that's what's going to happen. But that's in the future. Right now, Paul has decided he's on his way to, Ephesus, uh, to um, Jerusalem and he's trying to get there by Pentecost. He doesn't want to take time to go to Ephesus because he spent three years there. And um, he's been gone about three months. And he knows that if he goes back, they'll want him to stay a while. So what he does is, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And so he, he sends a, a messenger. And so the things that he's going to say that we're going to talk about this morning is Paul's instructions to the elders of the church. Um, these are the men that are going to take over and pastor that church and be the leadership of that church to grow it and develop it and make it one of the strongest churches um, in the early centuries of the Christian faith. And so this is what he does. <clears throat> and so in Acts chapter 20, we're going to look down to verse 22. And he's still talking about um, wanting to go to, to Rome and to Jerusalem. And so he says in verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my, my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Remember back in Acts chapter 9, God sent Ananias. God says he will be my witness before the Gentiles and the Jews, before their kings, and I will show him the things that he has to suffer. Now that, you know, suffer means the things you have to go through. It's not all physical pain and all that kind of stuff. A lot of it is, a lot of it is the responsibilities and the weight, the burden of ministry that God had placed upon him. And so he says, <clears throat> I'm not sure what's coming. The Lord has told me, imprisonment, imprisonment, and hardships are facing me. But he's going anyway. He's in a hurry to get there. He's compelled by the Spirit within him. 
Now, it's an interesting thing because the people here are going to try to dissuade him. And when you get to chapter 21, in verse 4, after he's left the people at Ephesus, he's on his way and he gets to Tyre, getting closer to Jerusalem. Finding the, finding the disciples there at Tyre, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then later on, um, he ends up at Caesarea, still on his journey, getting closer. He stays at the house of Philip the Evangelist, um, one of the seven deacons, you remember. He's got four unmarried daughters who prophesied, and Agabus, another prophet, shows up there. Agabus came down from Judea, comes, makes the trip to Caesarea to visit Paul for this reason. Verse 11, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, took, took Paul's belt, Agabus got it, tied his own hands and feet with it, and he says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, that's pretty specific, isn't it? It, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's waiting you. This is what they will do to you. Verse, verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus when he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. You remember Tsietse? Tsietse was a, uh, when we lived in Africa, one of our students, great big guy, Zulu man, uh, and a, a priest in the Anglican church. Um, a very godly man. I think he, if he's not already, I think he's going to be a bishop soon. Um, tremendous man of God. And while he was a student, he was pastoring at a uh, exclusive, high-dollar, um, private boys' home um, there in South Africa. I mean, this is the school that teaches all the uh, members of parliament and all the wealthy business people and all that. Well, he was the chaplain there. And it was, uh, being a Zulu man in that kind of a context, ministering to all the hired help, all the uh, Zulu people that worked there did all the manual, menial stuff. It was a very difficult, hard thing for him to be doing. And we were on field work one time out in the villages uh, in the winter. And we were, had taken a, a lady home. <laughs> this was way, way back in the sticks. We went as far as the car would go, and then she would have to walk a little ways. On the way back, we were talking, and I was asking him about... Um, about his ministry there because he was having to make decisions, having to make decisions about where he would go and what he would do. And he said this to me, why are you breaking my heart? I had no clue, no clue at all. I was just asking him. Um, and God was using that opportunity to speak to him. And through the conversation, it clarified within his mind what he was supposed to do. And this is kind of what was taking place here. These people were trying to help him, trying to make right decisions. And Paul says, look, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I've got to go. It doesn't matter what the consequences are going to be. It makes no difference at all. And as far as Paul was concerned, he said, I'm ready to be bound and also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter. 
God is compelling me to go, and I'm going. And he did. Can you think of someone else who had that same kind of attitude on a journey that he knew was going to end in suffering? Jesus. It's very similar to what Jesus did, isn't it? This is Paul's Calvary right here. So Jesus, knowing that was coming, and trying to tell and prepare his disciples for what was coming, knowing that, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And people, when they saw him coming on his journey there, they, they looked at him and they knew this guy's going to Jerusalem. Because Jesus himself had said, you remember weeping over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, persecute those who are sent to you. And he told the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, go ahead, fulfill your legacy as the persecutor and the, the executor of all the prophets. Fulfill that because they were getting ready to kill him. So back to Acts 20. Paul says, every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, several years later, he's going to write a letter to Timothy. Timothy, you remember, was one of the young men that... Um, was a disciple of Paul and traveled with him uh, most of the places that he went. He acted as uh, Paul's spokesperson and emissary when he would, had a message to send to other churches. He was one of the men. He had several. He was one of the ones that he sent. Timothy became like a son in the gospel to him. And they were very, very close. And it's interesting, when Paul is in prison... Uh, Timothy becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus, the church that Paul just left, and this group that Paul is talking to here in Acts 20. Timothy is going to become the pastor of that church and be the pastor for many, many years there. Uh, in the letter, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy is the last New Testament letter that Paul wrote before he was executed. It was... Um, just shortly before um, Nero had him put to death. And it's interesting, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, this is what he writes to Timothy. Now remember, four or five years earlier, he made this statement in Acts 20. He uh, wants to complete the race. So in Acts 4, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Starting with verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. It's the same word that uh, Jesus used on Mount Transfiguration, his departure. It means exodus. It also means execution. <laughs> You're going to go away. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you get what he said? I want to finish the race, he says in Acts 20, and complete the task the Lord has set for me. Paul knows his execution is going to come 
fairly soon. He's writing to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've fulfilled the task of my calling. Which means I can die in peace. It's the same kind of thing that John the Baptist was asking Jesus when he sat and at his disciples and saying, are you the one to come? What John was asking is, is my, have I completed my calling here? Is my task finished? Can I die in peace knowing that I have fulfilled what God has called me to do? That's what John was asking. And so that's why Jesus sent back the message that he did. So Paul here, he has these foreshadowings of what's coming. And he's not intimidated by it at all. Because um, his desire to serve God, this compelling of the Spirit within him, he is highly motivated here. And he talks about this. And then what he does is he gives a warning to the elders of this church at Ephesus. This church that Timothy's going to be the pastor of. And so I want us to pick up then in verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. And this is his instruction to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the first thing he says to the elders is, you make sure your own life is what it should be. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So when you hit your hand with a thumb, what's in your heart? It's going to come out of your mouth. It will come out of your mouth. It's a testimony to everybody. This is what's in my heart. So he tells these elders, your spiritual and moral purity, you've got to watch that. Later on, when Paul's in prison and he's writing to Timothy the first letter in chapter 4 verse 16 he tells Timothy watch your life and your doctrine closely he's writing to the pastor of the church you watch your life and doctrine closely uh, it's not enough to have correct doctrine it's not enough to have a good life you've got to have a good life and the correct doctrine <laughs> and put those together and it becomes a very powerful thing and so he's writing to the pastor, you watch your life and doctrine closely. It's the same thing he told the elders here at this church. First of all, watch over yourselves. Then you need to watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So this is where the, the pastoral type thing comes in. A pastor is a person who takes care of sheep. It's a pastoral thing out in, the, out in the country and uh, you remember when Jesus um, in John 21 when Jesus uh, came back and he, he confronted Peter who had denied him three times and he kept asking him uh, Peter do you love me and Peter kept saying yes you know I love you and what did Jesus say next to him feed my sheep take care of the flock feed my sheep take care of the little lambs take care of, of the people if you love the Lord you watch out for each other and you take care of each other and you become responsible for each other. That's going to be needed. Why? Because in verse 29, Paul says, I know that after I leave, 
Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the sheep. I was in um, a restaurant one time and I uh, was with a, a friend of mine. And we walked into this restaurant and there were a group of uh, pastors that were sitting over there and they were talking and just cutting up and, and messing around. And um, what they were talking about, and this is the words that they used about fleecing the flock. Fleecing the flock. They were talking about salaries and, and uh, perks and all that, comparing notes and all of that. And they say, well, the, the sheep are just sheep. They're meant to be sheared. Fleecing the flock. These were pastors. Be shepherds of the church, which he bought with his own blood. I know that savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, he's talking to these elders, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Jesus had warned in Matthew 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, be on your guard against false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They look like sheep. They look like everybody else in the church, but there's something different in their heart. And so he's telling them to be careful. And we're going to know that that's going to, that's going to happen, isn't it? Uh, even from their numbers, there's going to be heresy there's going to be division and strife sown. And so he says, be careful, be on your guard, be alert to this. And we know that they took this message to heart. In Revelation chapter 2, this is the beginning of Jesus' letters to the churches, the seven churches there in Asia. He starts with Ephesus. It's the largest and the strongest. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. These are the same elders, church at Ephesus. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. That's a pretty commendable thing. Those guys took this warning from Paul, they took it to heart, and they implemented it, put it into practice. They tested the things, they tested each other, they tested their own heart and life. This is why Paul starts off there back in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. Why? Because it's from your own group here that heresy comes and division is created. And so he says, even as positions of leadership, uh, we need to be constantly checking our heart with God. Uh, the prayer of David, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way. And literally, it's bad habits in me. That's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> I pray that prayer sometimes, and I... I and I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> is there any bad habits in me? Well, now that you mention it, <laughs> yes, there are. But he invites us, he tells us that we need that. We need to do that to hold ourselves accountable before the Lord. 
And they took it this to heart. Now, they failed in other areas. Um, they became so disciplined and so structured and so concerned about righteousness that they forgot to love each other. And when you don't love each other, then it becomes harsh and judgmental. And when you become judgmental, you become condemning. And there's no life there. And so the Lord writes to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2, you've left your first love. Because you can't be condemning of other people if you're walking right with the Lord. Because this is what happens to me. Uh, when I'm right with the Lord and someone commits a great sin, I look at that and I know within my heart, there but for the grace of God, that's me. And it's only God's grace. And I know that God's grace that He gives to me, He will give to that person and pick them up. And so Paul writes to the church, the leaders of the church, watch your life, be shepherds of the sheep. Be someone who is caring for them. If, they, if they're lost, go look for them. Bring them back. You don't go look for the thing to, to kill it because it left or because it stumbled. You know, uh, If it's broke its leg, you don't just shoot it. It's a sheep. You pick it up. You care for it. And you make sure it's, and you protect it. So Paul is reminding this of this and he's telling them be careful here remember that for three years I never stopped warning you each of you night and day with tears and so that's the bad news but he goes on to the to better news here in verse 32 now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified it's a tremendous thing he is, this is his blessing on them because he's going to tell them later on, I know that from this day none of you will ever see me again because he knows what's coming. I know none of you will ever see me again. So he's committing this, them, to the Lord. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace because grace is what provides our salvation. Grace is what provides our healing. Grace is what provides our forgiveness. Grace is what provides our unity with one another. I commit you to God, to the word of His grace, which can build you up, make you strong, make you stand firm, make you be what God has called you to be, and can give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The sanctified are those who are cleansed and purged, set aside for God's use, and if Christ is in your heart, you are sanctified because of His presence in you. You are called because of the Holy Spirit who works in you, changing you and working through you to be His witnesses wherever you are and whatever kind of job that you're in. And so this is kind of like Paul's um, last will and testament to the church at Ephesus. And it's a powerful one. And it was one that um, they took to heart and they put it into practice. And it's one as members of the body of Christ today, we need to be aware of and need to be practicing this ourselves, looking out for one another. One of the New Testament doctrines is the priesthood of all believers, which means Paul's instruction applies to each and every one of us. Um, the word elder is a translation of the word presbyter. 
And the word presbyter in the Middle Ages was shortened to priest. So if they're talking about the priesthood of all believers, that we're all called by God to be his ministers, to be witnesses and testifiers wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And that's what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us so much that you warn us, that you challenge us, and that you give us hope. And most of all, that you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us, that through all the trials, through all the struggles, through all the victories, and even in the failures, you are with us to minister to us, to lift us up, to draw us close, to bring glory and honor to your name, to transform our hearts and lives into the image of Christ. For that we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.